Okay, go ahead and take your Bibles and go to Acts 26. Acts 26. I wish I had my tablet here, but my tablet died. The only way you could get it to work is uh, basically stand on it. Uh, it was a Microsoft Surface. I will never buy another Microsoft Surface, okay? But t take your Bibles in print or on your phone uh, or on your tablet and go to Acts 26. Before I get going, I'd um, like to thank the church uh, for taking Chris and I out to eat. I'd like to thank the church for your prayers and your support. Um, I don't think your church has supported us for 29 years, but I think it's a good 20, okay? Um, so our family's grateful. You know, we know that we wouldn't be in Scotland without churches like yours, okay? So let's have a word of prayer so I can calm down, and then um, a sermon will break out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your goodness. Father, we thank you for your love. And uh, Father, I, I pray that you'd be able that you would help me to convey what you've placed on my heart. And uh, Father, I just thank you for your goodness and grace, and I pray that your word would be um, driven into our heart by thy Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Acts 26, um, by way of introduction, th this whole process, Paul is indeed on his last journey to Rome. Uh, all that happened because of uh, uh, Festus. Uh, he was in Caesarea. My wife and I have been to Caesarea. Uh, he was in Caesarea. He was before a uh, Roman magistrate, and the, the Roman magistrate was corrupt, totally corrupt. And so there, there was nothing under the Roman law uh, by which to persecute uh, the Apostle Paul. And uh, Jew, Jews from Jerusalem, remember that there was 40 Jews that had uh, formed a pact to assassinate the Apostle Paul. And you remember, if you know the book of Acts, that his nephew went to the commander of the fortress of Antonio, which would be right by the Jewish temple court. And he had, he had uh, told him that there was a plot to kill Paul. Uh, they had taken at least 200 soldiers. They had marched Paul to Caesarea. Why? Because he is a Roman citizen. And Paul then was uh, taken before Festus, and Festus heard the charges against him uh, by the Jews. But since Paul was a Roman citizen, there'd better be a good charge against a Roman citizen. There wasn't a good charge. It was simply matters of Jewish religion, which wasn't covered under Roman law. And um, so Paul wasn't really tried. Uh, he wasn't really convicted of a crime, but he was held in jail for two years. And if you read your Bible, it's because Festus wanted a backhander, okay? In Scotland, they called a backhander a bribe. He wanted a bribe so that the Apostle Paul could go free uh, because he was a Roman citizen, but Festus would enrich himself. Two years passed, and according to uh, Roman history, Festus was deposed. Guess why? Because he was corrupt. And uh, he got caught out being corrupt. He, he offended someone, um, he offended the wrong people, and he was deposed from his job. New guy comes in, um, and you can study this in your study Bible, uh, Felix. Felix was more circumspect, not perfect, but more 
uh, more circumspect. And he noticed that the Apostle Paul was in jail, and he was a Roman citizen. He consulted the books. It's like, why is this Roman guy uh, in, in our jail? And um, he, he called the Apostle Paul, and the, oh, the Apostle Paul, uh, when Festus wanted to uh, persecute him and uh, prosecute him for the crime, um, he, had, he had not been able to uh, convict him. Uh, before Felix, Felix again tries to convict him, and he says to him, uh, you, need, you need to go to Jerusalem and be, have your court case before the Jews. And Paul said, hey, I'll translate this into Indiana, Indiana language, I'm a Roman, I'm a Roman pal, uh, and I have my rights as a citizen, I'm being tried where I ought to be tried because I'm a Roman citizen, and I'm not going to Jerusalem, and I appeal to Caesar. Now, um, now we come into this passage. Look at uh, chapter 25, verse 23. Chapter 25, verse 23. It says, So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered into the audience hall with military tributes and prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, uh, Paul was brought in, and they are now going to hear uh, Paul's case because now he's on his way to Rome. Okay, nothing can change that because he had appealed to Caesar. By the way, the Caesar was Nero. Okay, so you have a corrupt guy that uh, wanted money. You, you secondly had a guy that was trying to do right, and, but he was naive and he was uh, influenced by the Jewish religious leaders. And now he has a problem because to send Paul to Rome he'd better have a good case. He'd, he'd better have a good writ of what he's exactly guilty of. So Felix um, consults Herod Agrippa. This is the fourth Herod. This is the last Herod. The first Herod tried to kill Jesus as a baby. The second Herod had uh, John the Baptist beheaded. Um, a terrible family, okay? Terrible family. Uh, Herod Agrippa was an Idumean, and you notice that Bernice was with him. That was his sister. That was his sister, and he was having um, relation, a relationship, uh, incestuous relationship with his sister. Not, not the greatest guy to stand before and state your case uh, as, as a uh, Christian, but Paul does that. So tonight, we'd like to look at uh, Paul's vision We'd like to compare Paul's vision and his commission to our commission. And within Acts 26, verses 12 through 18, uh, we're going to see uh, two aspects that we want to study. We're going to study his conversion. Secondly, uh, where I'm going to park is his commissioning. Okay? So we see, first of all, uh, Paul's conversion in verses 12 through 14. Go to chapter 26. In verse 12, it says... In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priest. Uh, so, so in verse 1, it, sorry, in verse 12, we see his journey to Damascus. How far was that journey, by the way, from uh, Jerusalem to Damascus? Um, 222 miles. 
Okay, now I'm going to be driving more than that tonight, driving to Indiana tonight. But can you imagine walking that or ride? Have you ridden a horse? Okay, you ride 12 miles after that, you know, it's, it's not so much fun to ride a horse. But so you see the depth of uh, the Apostle Paul's hatred of Christians, of Jews that had converted to the way. He hated them. He hated them because they threatened his Pharisaic way of life. All those rules uh, that they, they practice beyond keeping the Old Testament. He thought, well, all that's in jeopardy. All that's in jeopardy by this guy who's propagating the gospel. So we see his journey to Damascus. Note that Paul's a Pharisee, but he's enthusiastically cooperating with the Sadducees because the chief priest was a Sadducee. And he hated the, these Christians so much that he's even cooperating with Sadducees. Secondly, uh, we see his midday sign in uh, verse 13. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. Remember when you're in second grade and there was an eclipse and your teacher poked a hole in a cardboard box or gave you those special glasses to see the eclipse, okay? Uh, or maybe you had a uh, telescope that had a special filter on it so that you could look at the sun. Isn't our, isn't our universe amazing? Um, but the Apostle Paul saw something that he describes as brighter than the sun. It reminds me of the, the New Jerusalem. How's it going to be lit again? Yeah, the glory of God. Um, here, here in verse 13, uh, it reminds me of the new heaven and the new earth, but whatever the light was, um, and Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belonging to the Lord our God. So there's only so much of this we understand, but it blinded him. But it was so powerful, it knocked him down. Okay? We know that from uh, verse 14. And when we had fallen to the ground. Okay? So this light, it's brighter than the noonday sun. That's what midday means. It blinded him. He's engulfed in a mysterious light. And then he sees a uh, Christophany. Here in verse 14. And when we had all fallen to the ground. So Paul says, if you don't believe me, there's witnesses. They fell to the ground as well. They can testify that what I'm saying is true. When we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he heard a voice speaking to him in Hebrew. There's no recorded instance of God or Christ speaking audibly to anyone in a language other than the one that the listener understood. It's kind of like God knows all the languages. It's kind of like God knows everything. So Paul, I had a hard time in seminary with Hebrew, okay? It wasn't my favorite subject. Um, everything's backwards about it. it. It's right to left. Um, the guttural vows. I really had a hard time. But God has, Jesus was a, a Jew, right? Um, and, and God, uh, here, we have a Jesus Christ speaking to him in Perfect Hebrew. Perfect Hebrew. And he's mentioning Saul by name. So God knows his name. Uh, Jesus is communicating with him. And he says to him, why are you persecuting me? 
We see that if you mess with Christians, you're messing with God because they're inextricably linked. Um, that encourages me. Uh, that encourages me that um, that the pictures painted here of Jesus, that we see the absolute futility of anyone trying to suppress the spread of Christianity. This encourages me in Scotland. Um, passing out flyers, uh, passing out tracts by the mall, um, just normal, quiet witnessing is effective because God makes it effective. And there's nothing that Satan can do to stop that because God's all-powerful. He's working behind the scenes. So we, we hear the voice, uh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. We know that that's a long uh, wooden stick, normally with a either wooden point, it, point on it or a metal point for animals that display attitude. Uh, when I was a kid in Indiana, uh, people rented the barn behind our house, and they had a horse that was uh, being raised there. I wasn't supposed to hop on that horse, but I was a boy, and uh, boys do dumb things. And um, I, got it, I got near the horse on the fence so I could hop on the horse. Well, I did that, and it was a very short ride. And um, the horse bucked me off, and then the horse kicked me, Okay. Uh, for good measure. Um, it didn't affect me a bit, okay? Uh, my wife says it does. It did, but uh, that, 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 that goad was for the chariot drivers to put behind the hooves of the horse if the horse was displaying attitude. It would kick back in, in stubbornness and rebellion, and it'd say, that hurts. And then it, it, w- it would still display stubbornness, and they'd put that goad out there again, and it would kick the goat, and it, it says, the horse would say, I won't do that again. That's a bad idea. So Jesus is saying, Paul, you're, you're persecuting me because I'm intimately connected with every Christian. Um, you're, 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 you're deliberately doing something that's painful to me. Um, you're being stubborn and rebellious because I've been trying to reach you because you were a witness at Stephen's uh, stoning. He told you. He told you, uh, lay not this sin to their charge. And then he had his long speech before. And it start, it's starting to connect in, in, in Saul's mind. Paul is, has been persecuting his own Messiah. Uh, Paul persecuted um, the God which he claimed to love and serve. Paul was actually guilty of um, trying to mess up uh, God's master plan, and Jesus intervened. Jesus intervened. We see, secondly, uh, Paul's commissioning, and this is where we'd like to park. Chapter 26, verses uh, 15 through 18. Look at verse 15. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand upon your feet. So, so verse uh, 15, we have a question-answer session bet- between Paul and Jesus. Paul says, who art thou, Lord, uh, in the old King James English? And Jesus said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Click! It clicked! 
You know, that, that stoning of Stephen, the, the cloaks at his feet, all those Christians that he tried to incite to blaspheme, and they said, you know, God forgive you of what you're doing. What you're doing is evil. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a good Jew just like you, but I, I believed in Jesus Christ, and it clicked with them. And just that sense of guilt. I don't, I don't think he got over that sense of guilt. He knew that Jesus paid for his sin, but he felt... I think he felt remorse uh, the rest of his life. Uh, here, we have the Apostle Paul realizing that Jesus really is Yeshua Messiah. He really did die outside of Jerusalem, and he was the one prophesied in the Old Testament to be the Messiah, the sent one, to die for the sins of Israel and for us Gentiles. We see his orders in verses 16 through 18. Arise and stand on your feet. In verse, in verse 16, But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to anoint you a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and those in which I appear to you. Now, I was sitting in a McDonald's in Reading, Pennsylvania, drinking a coffee, and I, I was thinking, you know, what is there about the Apostle Paul's vision and commissioning that's similar to ours. Well, when I accepted Christ as my Savior, I wasn't knocked down, okay? I didn't hear a voice from heaven. It, it, this is more like uh, Isaiah in the Old Testament, uh, his call, but there are, there are some similarities. There are some similarities that we'd like to look at. Uh, when, when Jesus was talking to, to Saul and he's saying, rise up and stand on your feet, those are both imperatives in the Greek language. But he was, just imp he was just commanding him to get up on his feet because he had a task for him to do. He said, arise, stand on your feet. I have a purpose for you. That is why I have appeared to you to a point, a, a point as I did uh, to designate in advance. But look at verse 16. There's two things that are similar to our commission, no matter who you are as a Christian in this room here in Clarkston, Michigan, this applies to you in verse 16. But rise, stand on, upon, upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, future tense, delivering you from the power of your people, that'd be the Jews, and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Look at verse 18. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. We see two things. We've been um, appointed as an attendant. Uh, the word servant here can be translated as an attendant. It can be translated as a steward. But the one that got me was uh, under rower. Under rower. I think of a, a Roman slave ship. I think of the, the rowers down at the lower deck that are pulling on the oars. And Paul says, well, wait, wait a minute. I sat at the feet of Gamaliel. They make room for me in the synagogue because I was a smart student. I was astute theologically. People respected me. People honored me. And, and Jesus is saying, but now, 
I'm commissioning you to be a servant. Philippians chapter 2, thought it not, Jesus thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking upon him the form of a servant. You know, that's what we are when it comes, when it comes to our commission. We've, we've been bought with a price. We do not own ourselves anymore. Now we know that, we know that Jesus is coming. We, we know that in, in California, you can take your, your hand and go like this, scan your hand to, to buy something. Scares me, okay? These things scare me. We're going through the book of Revelation in our, in our church in Scotland, and our new converts are asking all kinds of questions, and they're erring on the first side. You know, everything's about prophecy. So I have to say, well, you, you know, when you think you have everything in prophecy figured out, God could reshuffle the deck. Uh, because one year with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Uh, but the, the signs indicate that Jesus' coming has to be soon. We look at our country here. We look at Scotland, the corruption there. Um, so what are we supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to share the gospel. We, of all people, are most blessed. We've trusted Christ as our Savior, but what we have is valuable. What the, the requisite information that we have is valuable. And what God does is he tries to modify our circumstances so that we take that information to different places. I need help in Scotland. I need a young couple to come and replace Chris and I um, to work alongside us and then us step back. So I need you to pray for that. But your job here in Clarkston is to be a witness to Jesus Christ. Uh, Pastor Joey and I were talking about uh, witnessing opportunities that he's had at the gym. My witnessing opportunities are on the bus. Let me show you something. See that Scottish flag? That's my bus pass. I get on the, it's called a pensioner's pass. It makes me so, so old saying that. I have a pensioner's pass. <clears throat> And I get on the bus, and I like it when the bus is busy because that way I have an excuse to sit by someone and engage them in conversation and witness to them. If the bus is not packed, it's kind of weird you coming and sitting by someone when you have all those other seats. Okay, but when, it, when it's busy, when it's busy, I, I sit by people. I remember a guy, he had rough old hands, and I, I thought, this guy must be a brickie. That's what they call uh, masons there, uh, brick masons. So I said, are you a brickie in my Indiana uh, friendliness? Uh, and he said, I am. He goes, but that's just one of the things I do. And he was, I got him to talk about the, the project that he is doing, and I told him, well, I used to own a mixer, and uh, I laid block uh, when we uh, put our extension up. And I was talking to him, and... Uh, then he asked me the question that they always ask me. What are you doing in Scotland? And I said, I'm a Baptist minister in Livingston. And he got quiet. He got quiet because his mom went to a church. He wasn't religious. The average, the average uh, boy in Scotland, if they go to church, they go to the age about 13. And then it's not cool to go to church anymore. Because church is for weak people. Because really there's no God up there. And people that go to church are weak because 
they need a philosophical crutch, you know. So I, I sat by him, and, and he, he had left, left off going to church, but his mom went, and they asked her to speak. And she said, I'm not going to speak. I lost my husband to cancer. What kind of God would, how can I say that God's good if he allowed my husband to die of cancer? What would you say? What would you say to this lady? Uh, or, or what would you say to the man that I'm sitting by on the bus? So by this time, the bus is getting quiet around us. They're listening to this conversation. So it's not just the witnessing opportunity I have with the guy. It's people that are behind and ahead of us that are listening. And I said, well, sir, that hasn't been my experience. Uh, I trusted in Christ as my Savior, and I've had a good life. And I lost my brother to COVID, and I know he's in heaven. He's in heaven. And, and God's been really good to our family. And you, the experience that you're talking about, people can get bitter, but a, a Christian believed that every single thing that happens in our life has to pass through the hand of God. And so your, your mom allowed herself to get bitter, but if she was a, if she was a Christian, uh, she was away from God. And, and, and as a Christian that's close to God, she had realized that Adam sinned in the garden. Sin passed upon all men, that death, disease, and destruction are a result of that, and bad things happen to Christians, but we know that if it happens, it's something that God allowed, and we can take it because we know that God's a loving God, and he has higher purposes. Really quiet now, really quiet now on my side of the bus. We're supposed to be a servant. Part, part of being a servant is realizing how weak we are. Okay? Without God's, without God's um, help, it's very hard to witness. Okay? We allow sin in our life. The Bible says if, if, I, if I, and I can't think of it, if I regard iniquity in my heart, I'm thinking King James, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Okay, so sin quenches our witness. Unbelief quenches our witness. We have to be constantly praying. When we have the, the, the bus seat opportunities, we, we need to be praying. Lord, help me to be able to open my mouth. Lord, give me wisdom as to what to say. But the one thing that you can always use is your testimony. You can use your testimony, how you accepted Christ as your Savior, and they can't say, well, you're lying. And you'd say, well, no, I'm not. That, that's what really happened. And th they can look you in the eyes and know if you're sincere or not, right? But a sincere testimony is a powerful thing. Satan hates it. So first of all, we, we, need, to be, we need to be a servant of Jesus Christ. And we're, we're under his guidance and we're under his authority. And as a result... We need to have a servant-like attitude to, to get away from our Gamaliel years and to say, I'm, I'm an under-rower. I'm just an under-rower. Lord, use me. We see, secondly, that Paul, Paul was a witness. A witness is someone who provides testimony to what he or she has experienced. Here's what George uh, Mueller said. God chose me because I was weak enough. 
God does not do great things by large committees. He trains someone to be quiet enough and little enough, and then he uses them. The Apostle Paul, uh, I'm sure he was tempted to pride. Um, I had a guy in seminary that never took notes. He had a photographic memory, okay? I'm drinking coffee. I'm working at a meatpacking plant. I'm drinking coffee and eating peanut M&Ms, trying to stay awake. I'm, even now, when I look at my notes, they go, they trail off. That's when I fell asleep. And I'd have to stand up in the back of the class. Um, my friend, he was asking the hard questions, uh, sitting toward the front. Uh, because he had a photographic memory, he didn't need to take notes. And he could recall it and do very well on his test. Um, God doesn't give us all a photographic memory. But what God expects from each and every one of us, he's, he's given us different gifts and abilities. And some people say, well, I'm not sure I have any gifts and abilities. You have two. You can work and you can love. Those are, and those are powerful when they're wielded in God's hands. But we need to be a witness. Acts, Acts 1.8. I'm not used to this ESV. I've never preached out of the ESV. Um, and, and since I'm getting older, the numbers are a lot littler. Okay? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the world. Go back to chapter 26. That's our commission. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be a witness wherever we're at, at our work. If we're at the gym, I go to the gym, uh, but I only go twice a week. That's all the time I have. Um, But I, I get to witness more on the bus We need to find out where our niche is, where we can have the most effective witness. Um, And if you're not eloquent when it comes to witnessing, you can share your testimony, but you can always invite them to the church. You can say, you need to come hear my pastor. You need to come. It's a a wonderful church. They, They love each other. They're there for each other. And people need that. You know, we've just come out of COVID. People have been isolated. All of us need family. We need to feel that sense of belonging. You can use that. So my question to you tonight, by way of application, is how are you doing with your commission? How are you doing with your commission? I sound like every other missionary. I know they get to this point. But look at verse 19. Wherefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Paul said, I did what I was commissioned to do. I did it. I was faithful. I was faithful in executing my duty. How, how are you doing with your commission? The Apostle Paul is an example to us. Uh, when he was confronted with his sin, he said, I'm guilty. I'm the one. I'm guilty. He trusted Christ as his Savior. Then God gave him a commission, and he was faithful to execute that commission. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, what you have is very, very valuable. And it's valuable to your unsaved family. It's valuable to your unsaved friends. It's, it's valuable uh, to those random strangers that God brings across your path because he wants you to open up your mouth and witness to them. The Apostle Paul had a servant's attitude, and he is a witness for Jesus Christ. Today, if nothing I've said has made any sense, uh, that's an that's a indicator that you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. 
You need to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior so that you can answer the question, if I died today, I'm totally certain that I'd go to heaven because my sins have been forgiven. I've accepted Christ as my Savior. If you're here today as a Christian, compare your commissioning to the Apostle Paul. How are you doing with your servanthood? How are you doing with your witness for Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray you take your word and use it in our hearts. Father, I thank you for this church and their testimony to us uh, down through the years. Uh, Father, I pray that you'd work in hearts as only you can. I pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.